Hi, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder, and this is the show where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. Today, we're going to be taking a deeper dive into how value is created from the lens of a chief financial officer. And I'm pleased to welcome Scott Stone, who's the CFO at Alliance for Multi-Specialty Research. Hey, Scott, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thanks, Dave. Great to be here. Uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, before we jump in and uh, tackle some issues here, Scott, why don't you just introduce yourself and your firm? Sure. Um, my name is Scott Stone. I'm the Chief Financial Officer for a clinical research site network. Uh, we're the guys that do clinical trials that help bring drugs to market. I'm also an entrepreneurial finance professor at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And I volunteer a good bit of my time to help startups in the Birmingham community. Yeah, appreciate that. And I want to talk about the theme for the program really is how value is created by CFOs, right? So value creation is something that we talk about a lot, but I want to explore it from your lens as a CFO. Give us a little bit of a feel for how, how a chief financial officer goes about creating value in an organization besides being the financial steward and protecting and guiding the finances of an organization, Scott. I think the most important thing a CFO can do to help create value is, is really learn to think like the CEO and learn to think like the board thinks, not just view the, view the business through the dollars and the cents or the numbers, but really broaden your skill set to understand the entire enterprise and how things work, um, and then apply your sort of core knowledge around finance and accounting to that to provide, I'd, I'd call it a different type of advice to the board or to the CEO. Well, we're going to talk about the uh, the broadening of, of one's skill set, but uh, I want to just ask you about thinking like a CEO, uh, only because I had a guest on this program recently who is a former chief financial officer, a very successful gentleman, who wrote a book called Is My CEO a Psychopath? And uh, apparently there's a, a high correlation between the CEO title and uh, psychopathic behaviors. And I wanted to get your take on uh, throughout your career and working with uh, CEOs, is there any particular uh, nuance that you'd recommend or that you've had to adopt in communicating with and working with chief executive officers? Well, I, I, I think the first thing is you really have to understand what, what drives them and what type of information do they want from you. Do they want a lot of details? Do they want high level do they want only the dollars and cents or do they want you to really provide the perspective of someone who understands the entire business? And, and to me, a lot of that goes back to understanding really much earlier in the process to understanding what the job is about and what the company's looking for when you're considering joining them as a CFO. Do they want a CFO that is well-rounded and really looks at the business holistically, or are they looking for someone who's more of a numbers person? And I'm not going to suggest that there's a right or a wrong there, but there's certainly a difference. Uh, some, some companies and some CEOs want the CFO to be very numbers-driven and to only look at the world through that lens. 
Um, others are looking for more of an operational CFO. And so I, I think really to provide the best advice you can to a CEO, it starts in selecting the right opportunity for you or the, or the right CFO chair for you. Yeah, and that's a great point because over my career, I've worked with thousands of, of chief financial officers. And I think the ones that have been the most effective are the ones that you just described that have broadened that skill set and have taken the holistic view of the business because they really understand the interrelationships and the inner workings of the different groups in an organization. So let me ask you this then, because a lot of CFOs that I speak with, they're, they're inundated, Scott. They're overwhelmed. They're busy. They're taking on a lot because they are broadening that skill set and, and they're responsible for other organizations, other departments within their firm. Uh, what other um, avenues are you uh, involved with right now? Are you responsible for HR, technology? What falls under your uh, bailiwick? I am. So, so really, any function that is inward-facing um, is, is part of my responsibility. HR, IT, legal, budgeting, finance, facilities, um, all, all, all of those are, are my responsibility and frankly have always been my responsibility in every CFO position I've had over the last 20 plus years. It's not always the case. Um, my, my career has, has sort of led me to these opportunities where they were looking for an operationally oriented CFO and it happened to be a great fit for me. I am, um, you know, there's a, there's kind of a famous quote from Socrates that says, know thyself, or some variation thereof. And I, I have always known that if I were sort of boxed in to only focus on the numbers, I'd feel a little restricted, probably not be able to contribute as much as I could to the organization if I were limited to that. That's, that's, that's just part of me. Um, my interest is in really knowing how things work um, not just sort of reading the dials, but understanding how business works. And I think ultimately pushing yourself to learn as much as you can about the rest of the business is, is, should be a goal for any CFO, even those who are in very financially oriented environments. I think really forcing yourself to stretch and learn as much as you can about all the other functions is, is, is really a, a key personal value builder. Yeah, and look, each of those component parts lead to the resulting numbers. And uh, as you know about me, and I think the audience hopefully does by now as well, um, I speak and write about the impact that, for example, human capital contributes to the value of a business enterprise. It starts with leadership, it leads to employee engagement, which leads to discretionary effort, which leads to better performance and greater valuation. What's been your experience, Scott, and how deep have you gone into, we'll just say the HR piece for now, since that's where I started, and, and what's been the impact? Well, I, I think the impact has been pretty profound. It, it, for me, it all started when I had my first CFO job. I'd never managed HR before, and all of a sudden they were my responsibility. About 45 days into the job, I sat down in a board meeting and listened to our head of sales discuss the reason that we missed our quarterly sales numbers was because we were down two sales reps. And one of the board members said, well, is HR 
not providing you what you need. And he said, they're really not. And before I knew it, all eyes were on me. And that was when I, I really, I guess it kind of hit me in the face that I needed to learn enough about human resources and really talent identification and development to contribute to the enterprise from that perspective. And so I did. Um, I said, well, from this moment forward, I'm going to be very involved in the interviewing process and, and in the talent selection process. That way, when I sit down in front of my manager or my peers to talk about the talent that we're seeing coming through the front door or what we're doing to improve the quality of talent that we're seeing through the front door, I could provide that from a firsthand perspective because I was involved in it very directly. One of the one of the benefits from that really is it developed a skill in me that still helps me to this day. Um, I believe I'm pretty good at identifying and evaluating talent. And that that helps really not just the human resources function, but it also helps me build a team that is a high performing team and a team that is well customized to our needs. For example, in a, in a, let's just call it a mid-sized company. You need a person to lead the technology function that understands everything from network configuration to desktop support and dealing with frontline users. That, that directs me to a very specific skill set that I'm after when I interview someone for that job. So those are the kind of things that if you're not deeply involved in the talent identification and talent recruiting process, you may miss out on. And ultimately, that handicaps your ability to build a complementary team that can move the enterprise forward. Yeah, great response. And we talked earlier about your relationship and in general uh, one's relationship with the CEO, you know, the CFO and CFO relationship and some of the nuances there. What's the, uh, the balancing act you have to do, Scott, when you're working with, say, the department heads of these other functions like the head of HR, like the head of technology? So just to throw an example at you, what does this numbers guy know about people? Are, do they feel like you're usurping, usurp, I speak for a living, usurping their function or do they view you as a collaborator and how do you make that work? Well, I, I think the, the most important thing is to walk in the door being willing to admit that you're here to learn. Um, I, I know the, the first time that I managed either HR or IT, I had to really open my ears not go in there with any preconceived notions of this is how this function should work or this is what we should focus on, but really listen to the professionals in the arena and at the same time, <clears throat> listen to the customers of, of, of that particular function. Um, listen to the hiring managers from an HR perspective. Listen to the, the, the people who needed IT support. And, and from that, I was able to, I believe, collect valid data points from the user's perspective or the customer's perspective and then bring that into the function, be it HR or IT, with an open mind um, and, and kind of bring those two together. 
So I think it's, it's really a matter of saying to those functional leaders, while I'm responsible for you and, and I'm your supervisor, I'm here to learn from you as much as I can. Um, and, and, and that way, I believe it, it, it sort of takes down the tendency of them to be intimidated and thinking, well, I can't tell my boss he's wrong. Um, I, I think you've always got to be willing to listen to those subject matter experts or those functional leaders about the domain that they've spent, you know, all or most of their career. Yeah. Hey, Scott, for folks who are watching and listening, want to learn more about you, how can they find you and connect with you? So I'm on LinkedIn. Um, Scott Stone 9 on LinkedIn. Reggie Jackson's my favorite baseball player from back when I was a kid. He was number nine when he played for the Oakland A's. So yeah. um, I'm Scott Stone 9 on LinkedIn. You can reach me via email at scottstone at outlook.com. I was one of the uh, early outlook.com adapters. So pretty easy to reach me via email there. Nice. A fun fact. So a Reggie Jackson fan. I like that, Scott. Scott, we're coming close to a commercial break here, so we don't have too much time, just a couple of minutes. But I uh, want to just continue uh, to expand upon the whole relationship dynamic piece and, and ask what's been the, the interaction and the dynamic with the employees uh, observing you taking on additional responsibilities you know, outside of your, your lane, so to speak. So one of, one, of the, one of the ways that I sort of walk into that is with, with the mission or the objective <clears throat> of helping everybody on the team understand what the role is of the CFO <clears throat> and what the role is of the support functions that report to me. I think it's very easy for that the, the CFO chair to become depersonalized, um, to be viewed as a CF no sometimes, right? The, yeah. the person that's always saying, no, we can't spend money there. No, we can't do that. I try really hard to dispel that among really all the team members, but particularly the managers who, who may need an, an environment in which an investment's required. And they need a forum where they're comfortable saying, look, we need to spend money here, but this is what you get in return for that. And I find that, that being pretty extroverted as it relates to the team members, the employee base, is a good way for the CFO to break the mold of someone who's either hard to approach <clears throat> who doesn't really understand much about the business. So I try to be very, um, I guess, forward facing as it relates to dealing with, with the associates. Yeah, that's good. And I, I jotted down being extroverted and that's for some uh, finance professionals, that's an anathema to them. They're, they're fearful of being extroverted. And I would just say this before we have to pause, that is being extroverted doesn't necessarily have to be in your DNA. You can put on that, that persona, if you will, and uh, do what you need to do, and then uh, step back behind the numbers. And on that, Scott, I'm going to say sit tight. Don't go anywhere. Folks, you watching and listening, you don't go anywhere as well. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after we pay a few bills. 
Hi, I'm Angela Pipersberg, and I have a new show here in RVN Television called The Angela Pipersberg Show. And I want you to join me every week as I sit with guests and we discuss their life journeys, share wisdom, and tips that will inspire you to live your best life. Don't miss The Angela Pipersberg Show every week here on RVN Television, where we're celebrating life and we're inspiring you to greatness. Hi, I'm Dr. Esther Malave, and welcome to my show, Achieving a Better You. Through this show, we're going to explore ways to make a better version of you. For example, nutrition, finance, fitness, health. Remember that there's always a way of making a better version of yourself, no matter what the circumstances are. And remember to look for and welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking with Scott Stone, who's the Chief Financial Officer at the Alliance for Multi-Specialty Research. Scott, welcome back to round two. Um, in addition to your role as a Chief Financial Officer, you are also an educator. You are Professor Stone at the University of Alabama. Tell us about that. Well, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be part of UAB's College of Entrepreneurship where we teach a class called Finance and Accounting for Entrepreneurs. I've always been, I suppose, interested in one way or another in teaching. Mom was a teacher for 25 years and a principal for another 20. So I grew up around really educators my, my whole life. Taught a little bit in college and graduate school. Taught a class at Birmingham Southern here back in the 2000s. And then I've been teaching this class for five years. I was approached to teach this as they were putting together the entrepreneurship program. They saw a need to, prov to provide or present finance and accounting in a little bit different way. Um, and I think if you, if you look at my bio on LinkedIn, you'll see that I've described myself as not your average CFO. Um, that's not anything that, that I set out to do. Um, I, by the time I was a CFO, I was sort of already not your average CFO because I've done a lot of different things other than finance. So that's important to, to the question because that's what we bring forward in the class. Um, we're not just teaching debits and credits. We're teaching how the various parts of accounting and finance are really important to entrepreneurs. Interestingly, about half my class is finance students. So I, I think that there are a lot of finance majors who are also looking for a different view of how to understand accounting in a way that they can apply it when they get out into the real world. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I think it, it helps me stay current with how people coming into the workforce are thinking. And it's a great opportunity to take present day events or current events, as we call them back when I was in school, and apply those to finance and accounting. Uh, just one example, we did sort of a case study on the company known as WeWork right when their crash was starting. Um, we've also talked about the companies that are in the scooter space, Bird and Lime and all those. So we, we get to weave entrepreneurial topics 
that are happening today into the world of finance and accounting. Yeah, and I know going back to my uh, college and MBA days, I always much appreciated the uh, the professors who were hands on and were working in industry and could really you know bring those insights and stories to class. Uh, so, what's on the minds now of this next generation of financial leaders and entrepreneurs, Scott? Have you gotten any uh, recurring themes from your students? So, a, lo- a lot of interest in, as you would expect from this group, a lot of interest in how do I raise capital. Um, a lot of interest in how do I get into the right type of finance jobs um, and a lot of interest into what are the first few things I need to do to start my business. I would say those are those are kind of the, the three main topics of, of interest that people express. Um, I, 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 and I gather that because every year we start off by asking everyone to write down what are two things you want to learn from this class? Um, and then I, I, I take those and work hard to incorporate as many of those into the lesson plans as I can. Yep. Scott, I want to take it back to uh, your, your so-called day job. I mean, you've got so much going on. You're, you're a guy who's clearly too busy to have any hobbies here. But uh, I, want to, I want to talk about your, your responsibilities for the technology practice or the um, function in, inside of your organization because that I mean growing cyber risk every day there's stories and uh, news articles about the hacks and potential threats I mean we see it all the time how do you navigate that among all the other activities you have we probably devote four times as much resources and efforts to network security today as we did even five years ago. Um, we're hiring a, de- a dedicated security person this year. Um, but I, I really kind of the, the, the three legs to that stool are obviously network security, also understanding new technology, uh, whether it is sort of enterprise-wide technology that, that's, that's not industry specific as well as industry specific software developments and then the third leg to that stool is figuring out how to deliver a functional secure network in an environment that is evolving really to to work wherever you are Uh, so obviously when we're doing research that work has to be done in a clinic but for many of the support functions, including business development, sales, marketing, human resources, finance and accounting, those functions are distributed all across the country. So really the, the, those three things they occupy a lot of what we focus on from an IT perspective. And being a mid-sized company, it's important to find talent that is diverse, that their skill set is diverse enough, they can cover a lot of those bases. Um, we're, we're never going to have a 15-person IT team as a mid-sized company. So finding finding team members, and this kind of gets back to the HR conversation, finding team members that are capable of doing all that and that are motivated to do all that and that are interested in all that is, is, is a big part of how we build a high-performing IT team. 
Yeah, and you mentioned in the first segment about your responsibilities for helping to identify talent and that you've gotten pretty good at it. Uh, for folks who are listening and watching and want to get some good insight on how can they better think about their hiring processes, what would you share with them? I think one of the one of the important things in the hiring process is to really understand what comes naturally to you as you're interviewing people. What what conversation are you most drawn to with the candidate? Acknowledging that that's not going to cover the entire spectrum. That, that you'd want to collect information or feedback or response from a candidate around and having someone on the interviewing team kind of fill in those gaps. It's, it's really much like building a finance team or, or building a CFO team. You, you don't want to have, or, or building a basketball team. You don't want to have five point guards. So in the interview process, for example, I would ask our controller to focus on one thing. I would ask, or one set of things, I would ask our assistant controller to focus on something else. I would focus on something else. And then as a supplement to that, we try to do some type of personality assessment. Um, a lot of people use DISC. Some people use Myers-Briggs. There, there are others that are, that are kind of on the market as well. We've had good luck with the DISC assessment. Um, I think especially for what we consider key hires, that's really important to know what motivates the person and how they're going to fit into the team. Got it. Scott, tell folks who are watching and listening how they can contact you if they want to learn more about you. Sure. You can find me on LinkedIn. Scott Stone 9 is my LinkedIn handle. My email address is scottstone at outlook.com. Either of those works just great. Awesome. All right, Scott, we're getting down to the short strokes here. Only a few minutes more to go in the program. So I want to make sure I, I don't omit this piece. I want to have you uh, put a bow on this entire conversation and help us to understand how all these various responsibilities and component parts that you're responsible for create value inside the organization. Any okay, measurables that you can point to? The first is... But by having a, a broad background and, and a lot of responsibility, the recommendations that you bring forward are going to be balanced and should consider multiple perspectives, not just how does this impact finance, but how does it impact marketing or business development or product development or client support. So your recommendations are going to naturally be of greater value than one that, that just comes from sort of through a single lens. That's the first one. The second one is having that approach flow down through your team means that you're building team members and teams that also learn to think from various viewpoints. That way, the advice they bring you, the recommendations they bring you will be balanced. And I think therefore a, a lot more valuable because you don't have to spend time and your, your managers don't have to spend time filtering, filtering through and wondering, did Scott think about this or did Scott's team think about this? To me, that that is the surest way 
to build value from the entire CFO organization. That's great. Scott, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Uh, I hope you had as much fun with this conversation as I did. Absolutely. Thank you for your time, Dave. No, thank you. Make sure you tell all your students that you're going to be almost famous when this episode drops, okay? Make sure they check it out. All right. Maybe I'll have to give out some autographs uh, when we start in the spring. You'll be surprised what happens when we share this on social media. Everybody's going to step up and just tell you what a rock star you are. Scott, thanks again so much. Really appreciate your time. Folks, we've been, you. we've been talking with Scott Stone, Professor Stone, also the Chief Financial Officer at Alliance for Multi-Specialty Research. Uh, my name is Dave Bookbinder, and I'm the one that my clients turn to when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. You can find me on LinkedIn if you'd like to have a conversation. I want to thank the Big Cheese for running the board here today. And of course, thank you for watching and listening. We can't do the show without you. That's all we have for today, folks. We will see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care.